We are concluding a sermon series called Holy God. As we've been looking at the, the holiness of God, here's the thing. We can only scratch the surface of this subject. When you look at what it means to worship a holy God and who God is as a holy God, there is so much there. We can't do it in such a short time. Uh, but in the time that we've been focusing on this, I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been able to walk away saying, I want to know more. Not walking out of here satisfied, but hungry for more. To where you're seeking more. And when I worship in song, I have those moments um, when, I, when I'm, I'm not reverent, uh, seeing God in the reverent way that I should. Um, there, are, there are times, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pursue this holiness too with you. And there's times when it's not that easy and, and my mind just goes somewhere. You know what I'm saying? There's times I wake up in the morning, I get my Bible, I get my cup of coffee, and it's like, ah, I grab half a Pop-Tart and I sit down in my chair and, and I start to take a bite of my Pop-Tart and my coffee and I'm going to go, is this any way to approach a holy God with a Pop-Tart, right? And I'm thinking that I feel bad because it's like maybe I shouldn't be doing it that way. So I put the Pop-Tart down and I take one more bite. Then I put the Pop-Tart down and, and I put the coffee aside and I just pray and it's like, all right, God, Help me to see you as you are, a holy God. It happens, doesn't it? Even when we're singing, sometimes your mind starts to race, and it's like, oh, God, I'm trying to be holy, but why, why do I struggle so much? Seeing God in, in his holiness is a moment-by-moment challenge for all of us. So do not feel bad if you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm there. We're working on this together, right? So I want to encourage you to continue this journey of pursuing God and knowing him in a deeper way and pursuing his holiness because God is a holy God. And if we can just grasp his holiness, I believe we won't hide from God. We will try to honor God. I believe we won't blame God for things that go wrong in our life. We will bow to God and understand that he is in control. And I believe that we will not walk away from our faith and walk away from God. We'll run to him when we truly understand his holiness. So we need to pray for that for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, and, and, uh, and ask God, help me to see you as a holy God on an everyday basis. Amen? You know, one of the uh, privileges I have and opportunities I have as a pastor is I get to fill out a lot of reference forms for people. Uh, they often come, hey, will you be a reference for me? Hey, could you fill out this... You know, I've, I've applied for a job. Can you? I've applied for a scholarship. Hey, we want to adopt it, somebody. And so I'll get a form to fill out a reference for that person. And it's usually a character reference, right? And so um, usually on there, I have to describe the character of the candidate. And so whoever that person is. So I thought about this, and I thought, you know, if I took that same question and rephrased it to all of us this morning, and I, and I asked you this question, and we'll put it up on the screen here. If you were to describe yourself... In just five words, what would those five words be? How would you describe yourself using just five words? So get your mind thinking here. Right? Summarize your life, your character, your accomplishments. What five words would you use? Don't be tough on yourself. Okay? God's gifted you. He's blessed you. What are those five words? Reflect for a moment. You got a couple at least? Now think about this. Think about a family member or a friend sitting next to you or maybe somebody at home, and if you ask them to give five words to describe you, would their five words match your five words? What would their five words be like? Any matches going on? I'm, I'm curious how they would line up in response. Would your response, would any of those five words include the word holy on the list? Don't raise your hand and don't look at me and nod your head, okay? 
Like just, just give me that blank look. Okay, good. You're all doing good. All right. A lot of people probably wouldn't include holy on their list. Okay? It's a good word used for Sunday mornings or something to describe missionaries or saintly type people, but not us, right? Let's be honest. In our minds, especially guys, let me talk to the guys. Guys, if you were, your five words, I'm curious what your five words. Matter of fact, if you were to fill in, let's, let's take you back to high school, college age, and you said, hey, you got to fill out an online dating app. Okay, you probably put words on there like outdoorsy or adventurous, or social, fun. Um, maybe that would be your words. Okay, but for, for, for guys, those would be some kind of words we would maybe use. You know, fearless, tough, risk taker, fun. You know, I like to get out there. You know, holy probably doesn't come along in our list, guys. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's some of you out there saying, "Oh yeah, that's my number one." Right, ladies. Now, ladies, you might be a little bit closer. A little bit more on the radar than us guys, but words like beautiful, caring, compassionate, loving, tender would probably be more sought out by the ladies in this room, right? And uh, little boys, little girls, <laughs> some of your parents are like holy, more like holy terror, right? <laughs> Just kidding. But we probably wouldn't use that word holiness to describe ourselves. We, we, we probably wouldn't. Um, here's the thing. Holiness means to be set apart, Right? Set apart. Now, I want you to think about this. What athlete doesn't want to be set apart? Every athlete wants to be set apart from the rest of everybody else. And doesn't holiness mean to be set apart? What artist, what musician wants to be set apart from all other musicians and artists? What author wants their work to be set apart from every other work that's been written? What chef doesn't want their food to be set apart from every other chef that's cooked food? We want to be considered set apart, right? But we would never describe ourselves as holy, would we? To be called holy just doesn't seem like a top five description because God is holy. And to call ourselves holy, that doesn't sound right. But check this out. Oswald Chambers said this. The destined end of man is not happiness nor health, but holiness. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity, He came to save men because he had created them to be holy. God created us to be holy. Oh, as as parents, I'm sitting there going, I just want my kids to be happy and healthy, right? God says, okay, but I want them to be holy. As parents, do we pray that for our kids? We wake up, just keep my kids safe today. How about keep my kid holy today? Help me to be holy today. In the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to 16, it says this. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Peter is saying, hey, you know what the, you know what the word says? you got to be holy because God is holy. That's our calling, to be holy people. Not happy people, not wealthy people, not healthy people, holy people. God desires for us to be holy. Peter says, hey, it's time to roll up your sleeves. We're going to put this in action. It's time for us to be holy. I'm like, okay. What does that look like? Right? 
Do you ever think about that? How do you, how do you describe that? How do you put this into action? Because that seems so distant, so impossible. You see, because I, I, can't, I can't be holy without a holy God living in me or working through me. And God understands that because God came up with this idea to then give us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to help us to be holy as he is holy. Last week, Pastor Landon did a great job of opening up God's word and, and revealing to us in God our destiny with God and our duty as uh, believers and, and of God and his son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And concluding this series, here's the thing. How do you conclude this series on holiness? It's a lifelong message. It's an everyday thing that we acknowledge the holiness of God. Every day we wake up, God is holy. I am not, but he's calling me to be. I recognize I'm sinful. I need a savior. I need to have a relationship with God. So it's a lifelong pursuit of being holy as God is holy. And it continues when God's spirit reigns in us. Now, in your Bibles, um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is a verse. I'll put it on the screen for you. But in your Bibles, if you open up your Bibles into Galatians 2.20, you might want to underline a certain phrase in this verse. Let me read this verse to you. My old self, Paul speaking here, has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the part you'll probably want to underline. Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did did you read that? In the screen on your Bible? It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, you may know we had a basketball team this last year for the church, right? You've heard me talk about that. And I thought it was a good idea to play. In my mind, I used to be decent. I shared this with you, right? I actually got to play against a gentleman by the name of Sean Kemp. Okay? Yeah, I played against this guy. In junior high. Okay, in junior high. Now, don't get excited because I wasn't that good. And, well, he was, he was really good. That's all caps. Good. Okay? And I'm realizing um, I can't, I couldn't even play well back then. But I can't even play well now, right? But here's the thing I was thinking about. Again, I've shared this example before. Is using the illustration of a good old movie, um, Space Jam. You all remember that movie, right? Classic kids movie. Some of you may not, but here's what I want you to remember. In this movie, there were these aliens that basically took the powers of some NBA stars and they put it into this magic basketball and then they put their hands on the basketball and they absorbed those NBA powers into their body and they became these big monsters that were dominant on the basketball court. Okay? Now, imagine real life if this were to happen in real life, okay? Sorry if some of you thought this was real, okay? But in real life, I were to have a basketball up here, and I had Kevin Durant or LeBron James power in that basketball, and I touch that power, ooh, look out, church league basketball, right? I might actually be able to keep up with some of these guys, okay? That would be definitely fun, right? But, and I get it. This isn't how it works. So before you send me a nasty text message or email saying, you are theologically way off base on this one, just just hang with me, okay? I'm trying to give you a picture of what is going on from Galatians. See, when we place our faith in the holy and only one true God, when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. And we no longer live in the flesh 
as we always did. We now have God's Spirit living in us. We don't have super athletic powers. We got the Holy Spirit's power living in us now, which is beyond anything you can think. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, with God's Spirit living in us, producing a new and powerful way of living, we have the ability and the power to live a fruitful and dynamic and victorious life for Christ. We do. We have that. There's more. Open up your Bibles to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 14. Jesus has been talking with his disciples. It's, uh, they're in the upper room. They've had time of teaching. This is before Jesus uh, heads out and, uh, to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and is arrested and crucified, all that. This is taking place with his disciples. So as you can imagine, Jesus knows he's about ready to have a little exit plan, off, exit plan off of this earth. He knows he's about ready to leave. So he's talking to his disciples, helping them understand, I'm about ready to depart here, okay? And then he says, in verse, starting in verse 15, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Are you hearing this? Let me read that again. Because he lives with you now and will later be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. See, in in this scripture, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm going to be leaving, but you know, I'm not abandoning you as an orphan. See, when you look at this scripture, the word orphanos described children that were left without a father or a mother. And in today's world, the word orphan means exactly the same thing that this word meant here in the scripture. Once orphaned, that child is deprived of any kind of, of care that he would receive from his parents. Supervision, protection, all gone until that child is placed in custody of another relative or another caregiver, a guardian who assumes that parental role in that child's life. That's an orphan, Right? There's a second meaning to the word orphan in the New Testament. It was also used in a broader sense to describe those who had been abandoned by their teacher. Just as children are dependent on their parents, these students were reliant on their teacher to teach them, to guide them, and to prepare them for life. But once a teacher abandoned them, they felt, again, just sort of left alone, thrown away, discarded. So in both cases, this word orphanos or orphan in this scripture is used to carry the idea is when you have been abandoned by your parent or you've been abandoned by a teacher, whoever it is that's going to raise you, guide you, and teach you, they're gone. You're on your own. And Jesus basically comes to us in the scripture and these disciples and tells them, you are not going to be abandoned. You will not be left alone. I, just as I am your father, spiritually, as he's looking at these disciples, he knew what they were completely reliant upon him. And they couldn't make it on their own in this world without him. So he promised them this, I will not abandon you like an orphan. So what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit into the world to be their new guardian, their new teacher. Listen, we couldn't make it on this world on our own either, can we? We don't have to. 
You know why? Praise God, it's spelled out here in the Bible because Jesus didn't abandon us. He didn't desert us. He didn't walk away. He didn't throw us away. He ascended to the Father and then he gave us his Holy Spirit to care for us, to guide us, to teach us. And with God's Spirit at work within us, we can pursue a holy life. Because I've asked myself that question, how can I live a holy life? If God's holy and I'm called to be holy, how do I do that? I can't do that without his Spirit. That's what I'm trying to say. I can't do this without the Spirit of God. We know that we've been saved by grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not works. We can't work our way there, right? We know that we were made holy positionally by Jesus Christ. Through the gift of God and the work of Christ, we're made holy. That's our position, our status, as was referenced last week. Unfortunately, there's a lot of scriptures that confuse us. We look in God's word and we're like, oh, I think I have to work for this, right? I've got to strive for holiness. I have to do, I have to act. This effort seems to be on us. As if I've got to do something. Here's the thing. Holiness is gifted to us through Jesus Christ. It's his gift to us. Positionally, we are already in the state of being blameless and holy. We're already there in that state, in that position. But now we're also in a transformational time of becoming holy as well. So how do we, how do we pursue and strive in this transformational period? So I'm going to give you three words to help you. And there's, there's so much more, but maybe these three simple things will help us as we pursue holiness. Focus, obedience, and together. Those three words. Uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is towards the back of the New Testament. If you were in Colossians, just go back a couple books. You're back in the Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, we, we read that we're, to, we're supposed to strip off all these things that slow us down, right? The sin that so easily entangles us. And we're supposed to run this, this race of endurance that God set before us. But, but how do we do that? How do we, how do we get rid of this stuff that's down at our feet and tripping us up? And, and how do we run this race with endurance and keep going? It gives us the answer in verse 2. We do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. It's called a focus, right? When you look at this verse, the word used in verse 2, look or, or keep our eyes on, is, is afrao. And this word afrao in Greek basically means this. Turn your eyes away from one thing and fixate them on something else. It's a simple word, right? The author even gives us the answer as to what we're supposed to fix our eyes on, though. He doesn't only say, hey, you need to fix your eyes, boom, from here over to here. But he tells you what exactly you're supposed to focus on, what you and I need to focus on. We aren't left guessing. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We pursue Jesus. And when we do this, we avoid sin. If you got your eyes fixed on Jesus, you're not looking at sin. And in those moments when we're struggling with sin and temptation, that's when we've got to get our eyes off of it and put them on Jesus. It's a challenge, isn't it? That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Holiness is taking place when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. 
But as we have our eyes on him, here's the thing. Even when we got our eyes fixed on Jesus, can good and bad things still happen to us as Christians? Yes. And when the good things happen to us in life, it causes us to what? Chase Jesus more, doesn't it? To praise God more when those good things happen. We see the blessings, the change, the joy of worshiping a holy God. And we're drawn near and it's so good to be in that, that state of holy. It feels like, oh, this is, this is one of those holy moments, right? But here's the thing. When God gives us good things and we chase after them, there's bad th- things that can happen in our life too. And here's the thing. Even in bad times, we can become more holy. You might be saying, oh, wait a minute. Even in the bad times, yes. Because we are prone not to fix our eyes on Jesus. As sinful people, we're very prone to want to be tempted. We want to look at something. We know we should not be looking at it or to go in a direction we should not go. We're prone to do that because of sin. And sometimes God has to correct us and discipline us. Sometimes we just have sin happen in our life. Sometimes we are in a bad situation because of somebody else's sin. And these bad things that happen to us, we suffer, we face opposition. And God can still work through those times as well to make us holy. If you remember, I shared that in a sermon about being refined like a precious metal. There are times when we are refined for the purpose of helping us to draw closer to them, to become more holy. Sometimes it may be to help us get a focus on an eternal purpose. I don't know for how many of you have the opportunity or your job causes this where you maybe have to travel a lot. And there are certain times in the year where I have to be gone for two or three or four days. And when those days come around, I don't look forward to it. But once I arrive at the hotel, it's like, hey, this is sort of nice. And, you know, look, more fancy soap. Uh, you know, and, and, oh, somebody's making my bed for me. And, oh, and they put chocolates on there. Oh, and a little bottled water. And it's like, oh, this is so nice, you know. And after two or three days, it's sort of nice. But after three, four days, it's like, I'm so ready to go home. There's nothing like home. I often feel that way about this planet. There's times I wake up in the morning, I hear the news, I see what's going on. I'm like, you know, as much as I may enjoy this planet, I see what's going on around. It's like, oh, Jesus, you can come back anytime. I'm ready to go home. See, this, this earth is like our hotel. As Christians, we're only here a short time. Our home is eternity in the presence of God. And, and I think sometimes the bad stuff that goes on in our lives, I believe, is just maybe to help us long for eternity in the presence of God. You know, if you remember when Jesus was being beaten and whipped and mocked, it seemed so bad and wrong, right? And, and, and when he was crucified naked and shamed and embarrassed, it just seemed so wrong, didn't it? And we looked at him and thought, this is so bad. But we couldn't see what God saw, that three days later he'd be resurrected from the dead and give us victory. But we couldn't see it. I can't see what's going to happen tomorrow, but God can. And we trust him, right? So here's the thing. Even though I can't see what's going to happen tomorrow, what do I have to see? I have to fix my eyes on Jesus who can't see it and trust him. Maybe, maybe things won't get fixed in, in our lifetime the way we've asked God to fix it, right? But maybe he's fixing something in life to make you a better person for down the road. Our focus, our eyes are fixed on God's kingdom and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the focus. The, the O in, in this is, is obedience. And here's the thing about obedience. You can't know what to do until you know what to do. Simple phrase, right? I don't know how to obey until I actually 
open up the Bible and find out what I'm supposed to be obeying. If I'm not in God's word, then how do I know what I'm supposed to do? So as a Christian, in my pursuit of holiness, I need to get into God's word. God, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us to be in Christ to be holy. Do you hear that? God chose you and I in Christ to be holy. Slowly reread that. He chose us to be holy. Set apart, sanctified. You know, that holiness requires a couple things. Holiness, as we've talked about this before, means separation from one thing and separation to another thing. When we read the Bible, the root word for holy is translated in terms of set apart, consecrated, uh, to be dedicated, sanctified, separated. So holiness requires division. And when you divide, you're, you're, you're withdrawing from one thing, that which is sinful, and you're drawing, drawn to another thing, which is the holiness of God, that which is right. You're going to be devoted to something that is good. So as a Christian... If I'm choosing to be holy, I'm separating myself. I'm dividing myself from that which is culture, part of our culture is right now. So as students in your high school and middle school, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. It just isn't good. And if you're choosing to be holy, you're not going to do what your other peers are doing. And your peers are going to look at you and say, you're weird, you're different. How come you don't do this? And they're going to make you feel like you are odd. Praise God. Because you are. You're holy. You're separate from them because you have been drawn to live a holy life, which is much different. You're drawn to be different. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It says this. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, peace, Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Let me, let me say this. Because a lot of times, I, I got it. I remember in high school, I was like, oh, the church is all about, no, don't do this, don't do that, right? Holiness, I'll put this on the screen. Holiness is not about living in a world of no. It's about leaving the world of no in order to enter the world of yes. It's pursuing that which is good. That's what holiness is. It's like, well, I can't do this because the Bible says, are you kidding me? You know all the great things, the righteous things we can do as Christians? Let's pursue them with a yes. Instead of, well, I can't do that. Well, praise God I can't do that. And I shouldn't be doing that. How do we know that which is good? How do we pursue it? We open up God's word. That's how we discover it. You've got to open up God's word. So let me review this. When we first place our faith in God, when we pray and ask God to forgive us, and enter, our, enter, in, enter into our life, we're changed. Salvation grants us eternal life through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He leads us into this new pursuit of holiness. When we discover in God's Word that after we experience salvation, and we're starting this new journey towards a holy life, separated from sin, dedicated to that which is a pursuit of righteousness. We understand that we must obey his commands. In your Bibles, go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. So again, if you're, I'm not sure where you were last. If you're in Hebrews, go back towards 
John, but you're only going to go a couple books forward into the Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, let me read this for you. Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves... Oh, that's just, how many times do we have to read in the Bible that God chose us to be holy? Isn't that crazy? Part of your inheritance. Since he chose us to be holy, we must clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So how do we display holiness? Well, here's a part of the obedience right here. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. You want to be obedient to God and pursue a holy life? How can I show mercy to others? How can I be kind to others? How can I show humility or gentleness or patience? Look at verse 13. Make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. You want to pursue holiness? Start forgiving people that are hard to forgive. That's a tough one, isn't it? Remember the Lord forgave you. See, that's what helps right there. I don't know if I can forgive them this way. Like, um, Remember, the Lord forgave you. You need to forgive them. You're right. Above all, clothe yourselves with what? Love. You know, last week, um, I went over to Brian uh, to talk with their baseball team. And I work with a lot of teams in, in, in five counties, actually six counties. And I was over with Brian talking to their baseball team. And that day, when I went to go talk to them, coach told me what they were planning to do. I thought it was a great idea. It fit right in with what I was challenging the team with. So we met outside a nursing home there in Bryan. And it was a Wednesday, beautiful day, like, like today. You're looking out there, and it was like 60-something. I think it was 50, 60-something. And you guys know what the weather's been like this spring? Miserable. It was one of the most beautiful days. And you know what that baseball team was going to do? Oh, and by the way, they were going to play Wasi on the following day on Thursday, a big league game. I, I know they were probably just... You know, we need to go practice. We need to go practice, right? You know what they did? We met at the nursing home. I talked to them about 10, 15 minutes, gave them a challenge. And they went into the nursing home for the next hour and just hung out with people. Can you imagine that? 20 to 30 baseball, high school baseball boys just hanging out in the nursing home, hanging with people, talking to them. Hey, tell me about what, you know, your life growing up and just for an hour. And then they went back to practice and they have to be off the field at 558 into their vehicles, because at 6 o'clock, they have to be off the practice field because it's church night. The next day, I was over at the game, and I was, coach walked by me and said, Hey, Rex, the boys are still talking about yesterday. Are you kidding me? I thought that was awesome. That's showing kindness. That's an act of obedience in God's Word. It, uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes group in Wasion, a few weeks back, they decided they wanted to show love. So what did they do? They got Easter eggs, filled with candy. They were showing up three, four days in a row before school started, writing handwritten notes, uh, letting, letting uh, people, the students know your love, you have purpose in life. And they put those handwritten notes in the eggs with the candy. And then on Friday, they went around during lunch and gave every single student in Washington High School an egg to bless them and let them know that they're loved. That's love. See, these are, these are actions, right, where you think about this. Okay, how can I be obedient I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus. How can I be obedient? There's a couple examples. Let me give you another one. Every 
day in this building, in this church, we have people that come in to use our food pantry. Load them up with a couple bags of food and off they go. And it hit me about last, I think it was last week it was, I was uh, a week ago Friday. I was sitting there and it was like, God, there's more to that food pantry than what it is. I think we need to do a cookout. End of May, beginning of June on a Wednesday night. And everybody that comes in the food pantry will start putting in those, in those bags. Come join us for a cookout, 6 o'clock, free meal. We just want to hang out with you and, and give you a free meal and bless you with more groceries. And, um, and we're going to share the gospel with them. That's what I feel like I need to do. So my question would be, anybody want to join me? Let me know. Talk to me, right? Because here's the thing. I believe God's called this church to do more than just come here and worship on Sunday morning. I really do believe that. For some reason, I feel like God's saying, Rex, I think we're supposed to have a Spanish-speaking service here sometime. I don't know. Saturday night? I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to do some kind of after-school program in this church. When? Where? I don't know. But I feel God's called this church to do more than just occupy a building and worship. Now, don't get me wrong. Our time of worship is sacred, and there's nothing more better than coming to worship. But we worship, but then we live out the holiness of God with obedience what is God calling this church to do? I've asked our staff, I've asked our elders, pray with me. I believe God's got something big for this church. What is it? Just pray with me. I'm going to ask you to do the same. We fix our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, and we want to be obedient. And we're trying to do this, but we've got to do it together. That was that last word, together. In that verse in Colossians 3, it says, For as members of one body, we're called to live in peace and always be thankful. We're members of one body together. There is a, there's a scripture, and, 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 I, and I just, I know I'm pressing time here. Turn with me to Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews. This is a verse that a lot of people often use. Um, pastors, you'll hear pastors get up and remind people, hey, you need to come to church, right? You need to be here. Uh, Pastor Landon preached uh, using this verse as well. Uh, When they got back from Kalahari, he shared with us Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let me read this scripture to you. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now listen, there's, there's a lot of reasons why people don't go to church. I get it. They're on vacation. They're on the road. They're visiting people. Haven't seen family in a long time. They're sick. They're vacating. You know, like I said, there's a lot of things, right? But you have to understand, there's a lot of people who don't come to church because they just stay at home because they're depressed. They're discouraged. Um, they're, they're feeling defeated. There are a countless number of reasons, like I said, why people are probably feeling discouraged. And maybe like, their faith hasn't just been working out well for them and they're feeling spiritually defeated. And it's like, I don't know. I, I really can't show up at church. I'm sort of wrestling with this. Let me say this. Don't let the embarrassment or, or discouragement keep you away from other believers. We need each other's strength. We need each other's testimony. We need each other's encouragement. You need to be able to walk into a church building and say, you can do this. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, give me a hug. And that's why Hebrews 10.25 says not to neglect our meeting together, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. That word neglect is a compound of, of three different Greek words, egg, kata, and lepo. And those three words compounded together basically mean, uh, means out, down, or behind. 
It's describing somebody who is, is basically extremely discouraged or defeated or just feeling depressed. And maybe they feel depressed because they feel like everybody else around them is succeeding and they're not. Or maybe there's someone who's simply weary from fighting a very long battle. And regardless of whatever that reason is, you're feeling left out. You're feeling down. You're feeling far behind everybody else. And the moment people begin to feel like they're feeling that way, that's about the moment when people say, I just might as well not go to church. Matter of fact, I wouldn't doubt it if you get that little whisper in your ear where Satan is just saying, hey, just stay home from church today. You don't need to go there with all those, those, those rejoicing people. You, you don't know. Uh, you, don't need to, you don't need to hear all that. Just, just stay home by yourself. You don't need them. Just stay at home and read your Bible. Stay here. Now, here's the thing. Satan knows if he can get us out of fellowship with other believers, we're going to feel more defeated. And yes, it's true you can read your Bible at home and by yourself, and we need to do that. But fellowship with other believers is essential for everyone. Everyone. We receive encouragement from other believers. I, I had to turn around at your daughter after we sang that one song and just give her a high five, say, I could hear you singing. I love it. It encouraged me. And encouragement, I was so blessed by hearing her sing. You know, the word encourage here in this scripture means to exhort. It. It's, a, it's a powerful little word. It means parakaleo is, is the Greek word for it. It's a compound of the words para and kaleo, which means to come alongside and to speak. It's the same word used by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus said, I will give you a comforter, a counselor, one who will come alongside you, the parakaleo. And we need that. Worship team, would you please come forward? Church, we are in a pursuit of holiness. God's called us to be holy, and it is a, it's a tough thing, right? Me, holy? Like I said, maybe one of your five words did not include holy, but guess what? God says that should be your top one. I've called you to be holy as I am holy. So let's pursue this. How do we pursue it? It's a lifelong journey. We need to do this together. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's be obedient to his word, and let's do this together. Let's encourage one another. You may not know this, but in the Boston Marathon was just recently ran, and a lady by the name of Desiree Linden won. She ran a marathon in less than two hours and 40 minutes, uh, which is quite a feat. The first American woman since 1985 to win the Boston Marathon. But here's what maybe you didn't know. Some of you didn't even know she ran. You didn't even know the Boston Marathon took place, right? What you didn't know is that one of Desiree's competitors was a fellow American by, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce her name right, but Shalane Flanagan. And she was actually one of the favorites to win the Boston Marathon and uh, to end the, this winless streak that the Americans haven't won before. But early in the race, as they were running together, they were running with each other. Um, Shalane said, I need to use the restroom, and there are these porta johns, right? So Desiree's like, hey, I'll, I'll wait for you. And so she takes off. Now, you don't do that in races. You don't wait for people. You run ahead, right? Well, she waited. Because, you see, Desiree told told her as they started the race, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling tired. I'm only three or four miles into the race and I'm whooped. I don't even know if I'm going to make it. So, Shalane, I'll do whatever I can to help you win. So she waited for her while she went to the bathroom. She came out and they took off running again. Little did Desiree know that she would actually win the Boston Marathon herself. I thought, what an incredible testimony for, for her, you know. She was not feeling great. She was ready to throw in the towel but she said, you know what? I'm going to do this together with you. Maybe I can help you. And in the process of her surrendering herself and helping somebody else, she herself was victorious. And I believe it's the same way in our walk with, with Christ. Together, when we look around, there's times I struggle. 
and I don't know if I'm going to do well in my pursuit of holiness today, but if I can help you, I want to help you. But you know what? In my pursuit of holiness and helping somebody else, guess what? I am victorious in Christ. And you can too. Because God's Spirit's at work in you. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. What an amazing God you are that you are so holy and you call us to holiness and you believe in us that we can do this and it's not, it's not even about us. It's us becoming like you. We're created with that purpose. God, without you, we can't do this. So God, we ask for your spirit to work in us. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to be obedient to your word. And help us to do this together as a church body. God, we love you. We want to sing to you now, Lord. We want to lift up your name and praise you. We want to give you all the glory. It's not about us. It's not about us being victorious. The only thing our victory does is just allow us to point to you, the ultimate victor, the ultimate God, the only God, our Lord. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In the name we pray. Amen.